The reading this morning is from Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7. Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Good morning. I think I'm in the wrong place this morning. It's very sweaty here. (laughs) But at least it's not that hot this morning. (laughs) If you don't know me, my name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here at this church, but I've been sent over to Upper Mount Gravatt to help out a small struggling fellowship at Hertford Street Baptist Church. Uh, If you do know me, uh, it's great to see you again. Uh, it's always nice to come back to what I think will always be my home church where I grew up for the last 22 or so years. Uh, my wife, Angela, sends her greetings also. She's manning the fort at Hertford Street this morning. She's leading music. She's probably panicking right now, uh, but that's all right. She'll be fine. Uh, greetings also from Hertford Street Congregation. Uh, we're very grateful for Sunnybank's partnership with us and all the help in the past few years in getting the church back on its two feet as we seek to do what we're doing here, uh, sharing Christ to our community and those around us. Uh, So it's a pleasure to be here and open God's word together. But before we do that, I thought I'd give you a quick snapshot of uh, how Hertford Street's been going in the past 12 months or so. It's been told that I'm not allowed to sell any of you to come over to Hertford Street, but Like I said a couple weeks ago at the members meeting, we do have aircon. It's getting into summer, and our morning tea is actually really good. Uh, Over the past two years, uh, Hertford Street has grown uh, from about 20, 25 people to about 45, 50 people. This includes a few people who have come over from Sunnybank. Uh, It's included a number of newcomers who have visited us and stayed. Uh, We've also had the usual visitors who come for a couple of weeks and go. And we've also said goodbye to a few people too, so it's not all been happy days. Uh, As you can see, uh, we're a mixed demographic and we're a multi 
ethnic body, uh, from our elderly folk to a Brazilian guy who started coming the day I started preaching at this church and someone that we farewelled actually a couple weeks ago as he went back to Sao Paulo in Brazil. Uh, we celebrated the church's 59 years anniversary this year, uh, which means next year is Hertford Street's turn for the Big 60. Uh, we've got a good service getting ready for that. Uh, we also have combined services twice a year with uh, a Korean Samang Baptist Church and a Burmese Kachin Christian Fellowship who use our church property every week for their services. And if you can see down the bottom, that's me getting translated into Korean for the sermon, which was an interesting time. Uh, some other highlights in the life of 2018 at Hertford Street. Uh, we combined the three churches uh, to put together our carols event uh, last Saturday night. Uh, ch three churches coming together with the same gospel message and same reaching out to the community. Some of you might know Neville and Joyce Bishop. Apparently, they get around. They were actually founding members of Upper Mount Gravatt Baptist Church, which is now called Hertford Street. Uh, so they've been there for a long time. If, if you ever do come and visit us, uh, you'll definitely get your hand shaken by Neville as you walk in. And this year, uh, Neville and Joyce celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary, and we'll able to celebrate with them after church too. And we also held three seniors morning teas through the year to provide fellowship and teaching to uh, this rather large demographic in our church. I started uh, last year, 2017, at three days. Uh, this year I've moved to four days, but I can't preach every week like I'm here this morning. So I appreciate when the Sunnybank pastors do come over and help in preaching. But we've also had a number of guest preachers come in from students to college principals, campus uni workers and pastors coming and giving uh, us a hand and to preach at Hertford Street. Uh, it's been super awesome seeing some of our leaders step up. You'll see some people, some faces there. Uh, to see different people get to know each other and grow close in community together, old and young, all coming together. Uh, to see people get into the work. I think that's Spence over there wielding some sort of equipment, uh, however lab laborious it might be. And just people growing in community inside the church and with other churches who use our property at Hertford Street. Uh, this, was, oh, whoops. this was a photo from uh, about this time last year, and it's actually a nice summary of the last two years because it shows the growth uh, that we had in 2017, uh, the mix of ages and backgrounds. Uh, even since then, if you look at the photo, uh, we've said goodbye to a few of these faces. We've said hello to a few more faces. And as you can see, uh, we're praying really hard for more young families to join us. That's a demographic that we really miss at the moment. Uh, but all in all, God is good. He's doing his work in his time at Hertford Street. And it's great to see a church that was in real deep trouble, uh, laying gospel foundations, growing and strengthening in many areas. So please keep us in your prayers and know that we at Hertford Street are also praying for you guys at Sunnybank District Baptist Church too. Uh, so this morning, I've uh, got the privilege to open God's Word. I'm sharing from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please open to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. I'm reading from the New International Version 2011. <clears throat> 
Hebrews 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to gather as your people freely. Lord, thank you for this time of the year that we're able to dwell on all you've done for us in Jesus, that indeed you sent him, that he died for our sins, that he was raised on high to be victorious over death. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, please convict us of this great truth. Please work in us by your spirit through your word. Challenge us to live for Jesus, we pray. It's in his name. Amen. Oops. So we're in the thick of the Christmas season, as we've already heard this morning. Both Hertford Street and Sunnybank's carols events have come and gone. Uh, you've probably been to a few others. Uh, you've probably heard and joined in to sing the Christmas songs. Even the shops get into the act, as we've already seen and heard, with decorations up, some even since late September. It just gets earlier and earlier and earlier. We see nativity scenes, we see light displays, late night shopping's coming up this week, photos of Santa, King George Square is all done up, your living rooms are probably all done up with a tree too. Uh, Hertford Street put up a tree uh, in their baptistry on top of it. I'm not sure if that's a bit sacrilegious, but I'm not there this morning to get the flack. You see, as we count down the days to Christmas, everyone and everything is decked out for this celebration. But I think it's this time of the year that when we're remembering the coming of our Savior, that it's probably easier for us to drift away, to forget and to be crowded out by all the busyness and bling of Christmas. For us as Christians to drift away from our saving story, to even drift away from Jesus. You see, if you think about everything I mentioned just then, carols, events, decorations, shopping, Santa, nativity scenes, trees, some of these refer to Jesus, but they often become our Christmas Ritual, singing carols because it's fun, nativity scenes because they look cute, and all the rest because it's the holidays. And it's so easy to get sucked into all these things and have a Christless Christmas. Joy without Jesus, cradle without the cross, Santa without a savior. And that's one reason why I chose to look at this passage in Hebrews. Leading up to Christmas, you see, it's not, usual, it's not the usual cute Christmas cuddly baby Jesus story that we usually hear, but it's a passage that talks about the coming of Jesus and what the birth, the cradle, and the baby, what it all means for the world and the significance of Jesus appearing in time, space, history. 
And as we look at Hebrews 1 this morning, the audience uh, of this original letter was for completely different reasons. They were beginning to drift away from Jesus too. They were forgetting they were moving away from the gospel message. It wasn't Christmas for these guys, but it's the same Christmas story that they were moving away from then. Jesus coming to earth to be our Lord and Savior. And they were moving back to things like rituals, to the Old Testament, to ceremonies, symbols, things that pointed to Jesus, that pointed to God's saving work, good things that come up during this season. But in and of themselves, they were empty, lacking, and a shadow of the reality. So the author of Hebrews here is saying, don't drift away. Don't refuse the saving message of Jesus. Don't live in the shadows of the gospel. And instead, to listen clearly. Listen clearly to the saving message of God in Christ. Because there's nothing, there's no one better than Jesus. So I think these four verses have a lot to say to us at this time of the year, for us not to drift away and to listen clearly, to keep reflecting on and celebrating the saving message of Christ, his birth, his coming, and his purpose of coming, which was to save us by the cross, dying and rising again to give us new life forever with God. You see, there's nothing better than Jesus and his gospel message this Christmas. I'll be focusing on the first three verses this morning. And the first reason to stick with Jesus and not to drift away is that Jesus is God's final word. Some of you know about the upcoming Avengers movie. Uh, They released the name this week. It's called Avengers Endgame. It's the last movie, hopefully, the last word on this decade-long Marvel storyline. Many of you would have heard of the Star Wars movie that came out a few years ago, The Last Jedi. Uh, The Last Jedi left in the Star Wars universe, apparently. But here, in God's word, we see a much more epic storyline, the storyline of all time, space, history, and says that Jesus is God's last word. He's God's final, definitive, and complete revelation. Have a look again at verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Remember God, he's a speaking God. We see this right in the beginning in Genesis where uh, God spoke and all creation came to being. And here, the author of Hebrews, he compares two ways that God has spoken in history. And the first way is in the past or long ago, God spoke to our ancestors. He's talking about Abraham and his buddies, Moses, Isaac, and really all the generations, all people of Old Testament Israel. And God spoke through the prophets, messengers, different people, mouthpieces that God chose to speak through from Moses to Malachi, Joseph to Jonah. We saw this in the Isaiah passage before. All the wonderful verses we speak and sing of around Christmas. A child will be born, an everlasting king will come, a ruler from Bethlehem, a son of David, a promised Messiah. And it was a piece by piece message. 
It was like an unsolved jigsaw puzzle. He said, she said, it was still incomplete. Bits and pieces spanning more than 1,500 years, many times and including different modes from prophecies to proverbs, psalms, dreams, even speaking through donkeys of all things. That's how God spoke in the past. But the second way God speaks in these last days, or now today, God has spoken by his son. The word spoken here is a perfect tense. It means it's completed, it's done, it's definitive, and it also has present implications for us. So God's spoken in these last days, his final word, and this final word is his son, Jesus. No more and no less. You see, there's no going back from Jesus because God's complete and final message is found in him, not in the prophets, not in their unfinished message. So he's saying, if you want to go back to ritual land, whether it be Jewish festivals, sacrifices, temple offerings, waiting for God to speak, if you want to go back to your idolatrous ways, the ways of the world and of society, the idols that capture our focuses even during Christmas, God's saying, don't do it. Don't drift away because Jesus is my final, complete, and definitive word. And he also says, if you want to move past Jesus, if you want to move past his spiritual experience, the saying Christ is not enough, that we need gifts, visions, or we aren't really in Christ to have your best life now. Jesus plus my retirement fund. Jesus plus my fame and fortune. Jesus plus comfort. Jesus plus your ego. God's also saying, don't do it. Don't drift away. Jesus is my final, complete, and definitive word. And you think Christmas of all times is a time of focusing on Jesus. But I think that it's also a great danger for us as Christians. I think it's a time when the evil one rubs his hands in excitement, putting out division and distractions and smoke screens. And we tip our hats to the birth of the Christ. But then we spend more time in organizing our family meals, in putting together carols events, and shopping for everything, then pondering in awe and wonder of Jesus and his coming. And we find more joy in reality, in the presence, the festivities, and the holidays, than celebrating the coming of our Savior. I remember a couple years ago, I got home from a Christmas Day service here. I was probably on music that morning, and we'd done our Christmas Eve dinner with the families the night before. So I got home, watched a movie, had a nap. I woke up in the afternoon, and I thought to myself, it's a day to celebrate Jesus, his coming and his saving work. And after getting home from church the whole day, even in the lead-up, I haven't reflected or thought personally on Jesus at all. Maybe I'm more forgetful or more sinful than others, but I think and I suspect that all of us have this same danger of drifting away from Christ in Christmas, being distracted by the lights instead of focusing on the light of the world. 
And I don't know what this means for you this morning. Maybe you need to blot out time to have with God during this silly season. Put it in your diaries, your calendars, your phone app reminders to pick up your Bible to intentionally read these sorts of passages. Maybe it's to find a short book to read, focusing on the truths of Christ and Christmas. Maybe it's making a priority to pray with your family and friends as you gather. Whatever it is, remember Jesus is God's final word. Listen to him. Don't drift away from his saving message this Christmas. And that's just a verse and a half into Hebrews, because you see, the author here in Hebrews, he skipped the usual greetings, the happy comments that we usually find. He's even forgotten to write his name here, which has caused a lot of trouble in academic world because he's so keen to put Christ in perspective. And as we keep going, about two years ago, I was updating my resume for the role at Hertford Street, and I think it's pretty easy to get a big ego writing your resume down. I mean, you write down all your credentials, how experienced I am, what I can do, how nice of a person I am. I'm hardworking, I've driven, you know, those catchwords, writing down all the achievements you've done from graduating college with that honours, whatever it is, to that high distinction that you earned in grade four in primary school. Sure, my Chinese is fluent. Sure, I'm an organized person. Sure, I enjoy coffees, play golf, and love bushwalks to, you know, sound normal like everyone else. You know the words. But if you read the son's resume here in Hebrews, it's pretty clear that no one is greater than the son. No one is closer to the father. And no one beats these credentials here. We've seen before that Jesus is God's final word. And as we look at the next verse and a half, and if you want to keep going yourself for the next 12 chapters in Hebrews, we see that Jesus is also God's supreme word. And that's what we really need to be reminded of at Christmas. Amidst all the gifts, the glitter, and the good food, that God's gift to us, to the world, to humanity is his only son, Jesus, and nothing and no one is better than Jesus. Verse 2 and 3. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made, also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Here in this verse in a bit, we see three, five, six, or seven statements, depending how you want to cut it up, of credentials of the Son, Jesus. Today I'm going to highlight six statements, and as we go through them, I want each of us to consider this is the Christ we celebrate at Christmas. This is the baby born God, the Son, and no one and nothing is better than him. So first, he's the one whom God appointed the heir of all things. 
missed that one, whoops. <laughs> you see, Jesus, he's not just any old messenger. He's not just another prophet. He's not some random guy that God chose to use. He's not your average postman or messenger. He's much more important than that. He's the heir, he's God's own son, the true king. That's why we sing glory to the newborn king this morning. And his inheritance, the son, his kingdom, is all things, all of creation. We can hear Psalm chapter two ringing in the background for those who wanna have a look. It says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, Today I've become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. This is the Christ we celebrate at Christmas, God's son, the appointed king. Second thing here is, and through whom also he made the universe. Everyone loves to see the nativity scenes during Christmas, the cute little baby Jesus in the manger, the Korean church at Hertford Street uh, in our carols, uh, they did a drama and everyone went awe oh, and ah at little baby Jesus. But Jesus, he isn't just another baby being born. Don't be tricked by the cute and adorable plastic dolls because Jesus isn't just any old baby. He's God's agent in creation. Everything was made by him and for him. John chapter one, Colossians chapter one. And at Christmas, we celebrate the creator coming into creation, the maker joining mankind, the perfect eternal son identifying with sinners. So when you see the nativity scenes and the baby Jesus, remember, he's God, he's the creator. Wow, what a truth that the creator would enter into his creation. Now to the third line in Jesus' resume. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Well, these are two statements. Uh, they kind of parallel each other. And in the Greek, it's one phrase, one line. And it makes sense because they're both saying the same thing. Jesus is God. It's summer, it's hot, so some of us like to make our own ice blocks. We freeze water, sugary stuff in the molds, and ice blocks, they form into the shape of the mold. Well, here the idea is about a coin being made or a seal on a wax, and when these are produced, it's an exact representation. The coin and the seal are exact matches of the original like for like, substance for substance, character for character. The Greek word for representation is literally the word character. You see, Jesus is God. And when we see Jesus, we see the Father. And if we want to know God this morning, then we're to look at Jesus. Fourth statement, sustaining all things by his powerful word. In Greek mythology, uh, there's an image of a titan called Atlas. He carries the earth, he's got pretty big muscles. Uh, he was sentenced to this task, but he looks pained, he looks in suffering. But in God's word, it's no sweat for Jesus. 
He's the creator, and he also sustains the world, the universe, all things. He maintains and keeps everything in being. Even right now, we're here alive and breathing because Jesus is sustaining the whole universe. Charles Spurgeon says of this, infinite and an infant, eternal and yet born of a woman, almighty and yet hanging on a woman's breast, supporting a universe and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms, king of angels and yet the reputed son of Joseph, heir of all things, and yet the carpenter's despised son. Oh, the wonder of Christmas. You see the irony at Christmas that the baby Jesus is sustaining our very universe. And like we said before, thinking through that, letting that truth hit you in the face ought to give us some perspective at Christmas, that the one who holds the universe together would come as a baby die our death, and rise again to give us new life. Fifth and second last, after he had provided purification for sins. I think we often divorce Christmas and Easter, but these two events that we celebrate are so linked. They overlap, they point to each other, and not just because they're public holidays. You see, when we celebrate the cradle, We remember the cross, Christ at Calvary. When we see the baby Jesus, we remember before the throne, our only plea is Jesus. When we see the manger, we see the Messiah, the saving one. You see, the gospel message isn't just the Easter message. It's the Christian message. It's the Christmas message that you, that we are lost in our sins that we have no hope in ourselves, but God made a way in Jesus. And it's done after he has provided purification. It's, in the Greek, it's all one word, and it's an eris participle for the English geeks, which means that it's an event that's happened and it's all done. It's all wrapped up, it's finished, it's perfectly completed. You see, the work of the cross has dealt with my sin and your sin. Jesus came Christmas, Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose on high. Maybe this morning as we head into Christmas, you're wondering, can my sin really be forgiven? Did Jesus really die for me? Do I really have assurance of salvation? Well, this phrase in Hebrews helps us to answer those questions with a resounding yes. Sins are paid for. Jesus has made purification. His own blood on the cross has taken away our sin. So you and me, we can come to God confidently this morning, knowing that Jesus has paid it all. And the last comment on the resume of Jesus here. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You see, Christmas celebrations, they happen every year. Last year we had Christmas, this year we have Christmas, next year and beyond we'll have Christmas. But the content that we celebrate, it's complete and final. It's not up for discussion 
every year because Jesus, he finished the work he came to do. Sin was paid for, as was the point before. And the author, he underlines it again by saying it's really a done deal. You see, in the Old Testament, while all the priests, they stand up, they do their business in the temple year by year, offerings and sacrifices, purification, cleanse, cleanness. Here, Jesus, he sat down. His work is done. It's complete and final. And Jesus, he sits down and sits at the most honored seat in all the heavens, God's right hand. You see, with our sin problem, Jesus, he says, believe in me. It's all done and dusted. I'm at God's right hand. I'm sitting down and I'm pleading your case to the Father. Jesus, he's saying, he's mine. She's washed with my blood. He's righteous. See, at Christmas, we also remember that Jesus' work is complete. We're reminded yet again of the hope that we have. That's why we can sing stuff this morning like joy to the world, hark the herald, come all ye faithful, glory in the highest to God. You see, there's no point being joyful and coming to Jesus if his saving work wasn't complete. It'd be a cool but a really pointless story. But that's what the author of Hebrews reminds us of here. He says, it's all done, case closed. And that's why Jesus is God's final and supreme word. This baby Jesus we celebrate being born, he's God's heir, God's agent in creation. He's fully God yet fully man. He upholds all creation. He dealt with each of our sin problem and he sat down to signal mission complete, all done. You see, Jesus, he's God's final and supreme word, and nothing and no one is better than Jesus. So this Christmas, as we finish off, have fun, celebrate, be joyful, get your friends and family over, maybe spare me a Christmas present if you like, I got one already this morning, but don't, don't drift away from the reason for the season. Don't drift away from Jesus. Don't get caught in the lights and forget about the light of the world. Instead, make it a priority to soak yourself in the gospel. Fill yourself in awe of God's son, Jesus. Celebrate Jesus. Find out more about Jesus if you need to. Spend time with Jesus, whether it means blotting time out in your upcoming busy schedule to reflect on our Savior and King. Focus and rejoice on the best gift this Christmas, not your new Lego set, but Jesus, and rest in the saving work of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death and resurrection, and new life that's secured in his saving work on this earth. On the web, there's a guy named Paul Tripp, He's doing devotions for Advent every day. It's a great resource to reflect on, and I really commend it to you. And Paul Tripp, he summed it up well as we finish off by saying, all the promises of the prophets were carried on the shoulders of the one born in Bethlehem, and Jesus, he fulfilled 
them all. Let's pray. Lord God, it's a great time of the year to remember and celebrate your saving work, that you sent your son Jesus to dwell among us, fully God, fully man, your only son, that he lived the perfect life, that he died our death for our sins, and that he rose on high, he seated at your right hand. Father, as we celebrate Christmas in the days ahead, as we delight in your blessings, whether they be gifts, family, friends, and food. Help us to delight in the gift of salvation won by Jesus, that he's your supreme and final word. For those doing it tough during this Christmas time, lift, lift their spirits and refresh us of the gift that you've given us, a gift that cannot be taken away, the gift of new life through your son and his saving work. Lord God, remind us that no one and nothing is better than Jesus and life in him. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks, Josh.